It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everyone. Uh, ben here. I'm going to get the podcast going here in just a second. Recorded one after the Raptors game uh, with our friend Adam Rubin. But just a quick uh, heads up, if, I have, if you haven't already heard, I've started a new college basketball podcast independent of all of this, covering the local college basketball scene. A lot of Georgetown, a lot of George Washington, George Mason, some Maryland as well. But I'm really going to try to cover whatever I can get to around the area. I've already spoken with a couple of head coaches, former NBA player, uh, recaps of different games that I've attended and so on. I'm willing to go where the people want me to go. So if you guys are interested in this podcast, please check it out. Go to patreon.com forward slash Ben Standig. You'll see the details there, how you can get involved. If you guys want to bribe me collectively as a group uh, for it to go cover your team, I'm down with that. But we'll be doing podcasts a couple of week, and uh, we'll see where it goes. So go check it out, patreon.com forward slash Ben Standig. Be, you'll see there how you can be part of it, help me help you, so to speak. Looking forward to doing this. Two episodes in, a third one coming up on Tuesday. All right, here we go. Here is our latest Locked on Wizards podcast, myself, along with Adam Rubin from truthaboutit.net. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast. The Wizards are playing a relentless schedule. It's been every other day for a while, although it is about to be back-to-back. So now we'll have even more games to talk about. Here to help me talk about the last game, the most recent game, a Sunday loss without John Wall in Toronto, a a Hall of Fame guest here on the Locked On Wizards podcast, Mr. Adam Rubin. Adam, uh... Was your or is your weekend still a success despite the fact that the Wizards lost uh, in the fourth quarter, basically against Toronto? I, I don't. That, is my weekend still a success? Well, yeah, um, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe you know. You know. Uh, take, you know. It's you, everything was going good, and then all of a sudden, boom, they lost. And yeah. plus, plus the Redskins lost. It was Sunday was a rough day for the DC sports scene. Yeah, I'd say the. Six hours or so that I wasted watching both games. That sort of put a damper on the, the end of the weekend. But luckily, it's a short week coming up. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was a wild ride there. Not that not that the uh, we're, we're not going to talk about the Redskins, but con- considering where the Redskins were, <laughs> uh, and and then uh, you know up you know pretty big with six minutes to go, they blow it, and then the Wizards. You know, no John Wall. You figure it's going to be a tough day at the office. You know, they beat Toronto two weeks prior on a Sunday without John Wall. Uh, you know, could you could you pull that off again? Felt like it probably would be a difficult task. Ultimately, it was. They only got 15 points in the fourth quarter. Um, to to be honest with the audience, as I always try to be, I only really kind of watched the fourth quarter. I mean, only because uh, I wanted we wanted to talk and I wanted to get this in and yada yada yada. But you know, I turned the, when I when I when I noticed where we were at the game, and it was basically tied going into the fourth quarter, close to it. I'm like, okay, we'll we'll do that much. I'll go back later and watch it. But I wanted to get in the podcast with you, 
Mr. Rubin. So uh, before we get into all the details, of course, you can find us on iTunes and anywhere else you do the podcasting. Subscribe, rate us, leave comments, all that fun stuff. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I am at Ben Standig, and Adam is at the always fun at Liddell's Place. Um, all right, let's get into this. I guess that's first before I get into anything specific. Any one thing stand out to you um, from this game, which is now their second loss in a row? Yeah, well, the main thing I was interested in coming into this game after the the last game was whether Jason Smith was a one-hit wonder against the Heat or whether there was an actual change in, in Brooks' rotation and whether he would give Smith another shot. And so that's, uh, of course, he, he did not. <laughs> Spoiler, he did, he, uh, Smith was back to the bench and Mahimi was his, his usual self. But that's one of the takeaways I had because I'm sort of looking – forward from this game hopefully this will be a game they can put behind them and and how it's going to affect them moving forward but it looks like you know brooks was right back to the the all bench uh squad which was actually all bench plus Sadoransky this time around because fraser was starting um but he just went right back to that well and that well was as it has always been dry um so that that i think was of concern and interest to me you know watching this game Fair enough. Uh, we'll, 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 uh, I'm sure we'll get back to some of that as we go through this. All right, so here's some notes that I took. First and foremost, as I said, 191 they lose. No John Wall. Bradley Beal was cooking, no, for three quarters. He had 27 points. Uh, you know, I saw people on Twitter talking about, you know, how many is he going to get? Well, that's how many he got. He only got 27, zero in the fourth quarter. He missed all his four of his field goal attempts. He didn't even attempt a single free throw in the entire game. Uh, some of the players that did attempt free throws missed them. The Wizards went 12 of 21 from the line in a game they lose by nine points. Meanwhile, DeMar DeRozan, 33 points for Toronto. Toronto outscored the Wizards 50 to 34 in the paint. They got, you know, Toronto's not a great three-point shooting team in general. I mean, you know, they, they have some guys, but, like, you don't view them as a one of those kinds of teams. DeRozan's not a threat from outside the arc. Inside, he's a monster, and uh, they just got to the rim a bunch here. Um all right, so I told, as I said, the four, we're going to primarily focus on the fourth quarter, but bounce around a little bit. So I made some notes here. With with eight eleven left in the fourth quarter, it's eighty three eighty one Toronto, anybody's game, and Kelly <laughs> Oubre gets caught up. He's he's defending C J Miles, who's sort of drifting into the right corner. He gets caught up trying to double team the defender, doesn't get, uh, leaves Miles open. Miles is a, is, is a solid three-point shooter. Not only does Miles receive the pass and make the three, he gets fouled by Oubre. Four-point play. And kind of from there, the Wizards really were never really that close. I don't think they got it down to five once or twice. But, I mean, I, mean, they, they, I don't think they got it ever, ever any closer than the five points um, at, at that point. Uh, Adam, I want your take on this quote from Carol Lawson. Quote, this is not a game, this is not going to be a game Kelly Oubre looks back fondly on. He has underperformed this afternoon, and has a lot, and a lot of it has just been his awareness. That was a play that sort of showed that uh, some poor def- defensive instincts. I've talked about his instincts are not so great generally on both ends of the court. That comment to you, did that ring true both with today and sort of where the Ubre weaknesses kind of are? Well, that particular play was awful, and I, I had that as the sort of the turning point of the game because the bench was in, and they sort of. They need to keep it at a two-point game or so, keep it somewhere around there. 
because Beal was somewhat running out of gas before he came in. Um, it, it wasn't even, it was poor. What Carl Lawson said was correct, it, but it was, I don't know what he was doing because he was helping off, I believe it was Van Vliet who, was, who drove and gave the pass, but it was just a sort of a lunge towards him. He didn't even have an impact. You know C.J. Miles is a spot-up three-point shooter. You don't want to leave him. There's no need to leave him. The foul, although the foul wasn't as bad. He, he undercut him a little bit, didn't let him land, but it wasn't too bad of a foul, but still, he fouled him. But, but that play, that four-point play, that moved it to uh, you know, an 87-81 game, and I think from there, uh, you know, from there that, that was pretty much it. But – Yes, on offense as well, uh, Ubre was driving into uh, defenders. Toronto defenders were going straight up against him, also against Beal. Beal was getting upset about the no calls as well. But he was driving into people and putting up some, some bad shots. It was sort of rookie year Ubre uh, tonight. And, and I just went, while you were doing that, I just pulled up the, the video, uh, the replay, just to look at it. And right, not only, he, 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 all he does is he doesn't go over to make a hard trap on Van Fleet. He just sort of moves over to stick his arm in, sort of a, you know, attempt to knock the ball away or something, but like sort of a weak attempt at that. But the worst part is, you know, Sadoransky, who, you know, is not a great one-on-one defender, and you would think against a guy like Van Fleet, he might have a problem. He actually shuts it off where Van Fleet turns his body around away from the basket because he can't get anywhere. When he does that, he sees Miles is open in the corner because Ubre has now left him. So, the, so Sadoransky actually did his job, and Van Vliet would have been in big trouble if Ubre hadn't uh, moved over there. Yeah, it was just a completely unnecessary move. And I, I understand sometimes when Ubre gets uh, excited and starts to lock in, and, and he did this against Dragic last game where he had that huge turnover that he forced with Jason Smith, that sort of energy and effort is good when he wants to be locked in, and sometimes if he commits a dumb foul doing it, you excuse it because you understand he's trying to get something going. But this particular play was of no advantage to do what he did, and, of course, you don't do that when you have, uh, you know, Miles is the guy you're covering. So it was just – and that, that's when Cara, you know, made that comment, and I think she was sort of building up from the entire game. But that was sort of uh, indicative of, yes, that was sort of the worst of Uber. That, that's what – that's the consistency part. That's the – the part that always separates him from, you know, Otto Porter versus Ubre. Obviously, there's no comparison anymore, but that was sort of the thing that always separates their feelings. It's like he's got to stop doing these type of plays. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I, one of the themes I think I'm going to have for this podcast is sometimes when we pick on a player, and I don't mean you and me, we, the collective, we, we pick on a player for what they do or don't do, but sometimes I, I think it's, it's unfair because they get put in positions that they shouldn't be in, and and they're having to they're having to perform in in ways that maybe they shouldn't. And I say this in the sense that at 21, Ubre is not really a six man material, right? I wouldn't view Ubre like if you said like, who 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 would be a good six man. I wouldn't point to Ubre right now. He should be more of an energy guy who's maybe your seventh or eighth guy. Uh, you know, he's part of your second unit for sure. But like he has the Wizards are counting on him to do a lot because as you know we've talked about their bench. Issues among them, they're just not very athletic. He's the only athletic guy really off the bench, so he's having to do more than I think he really probably should. And and Brooks almost sometimes has to leave him out there more because of that, because he doesn't have as many options. In any event, he goes two for seven from the field today. This is after he went one of nine against Miami 
on Friday, his shooting percentage is now down to 41% on the year. He's up, though he's actually at 39 from three. So go figure. So that means he's really bad inside the, <laughs> inside the arc these days. Um, but nonetheless, uh, he's still, he's still hitting a pretty decent amount, uh, from, uh, from three. Uh, where was I going here? Oh, okay. So, all right. So, so like I said, the lead grows from there. Now, what stood out to me at that point, well, a couple things. One, I knew at that point that Bradley Beal has already been scoring a ton, but as I'm watching it go go by, I'm not noticing Bradley Beal being heavily involved. You mentioned him running out of gas a little bit, and considering all he's having to do with that wall, that's probably a little bit fair. He also, uh, post-game, he told this to reporters, I'll get your take on this, asked what, what changed for him in the second half. Quote, they were aggressive, and they put Kyle, meaning Kyle Lowry, on me to kind of face guard me, which didn't help. He was running next to me up and down the floor. He didn't leave my side. It goes on to be more specific about it. Uh, did you, look, no John Wall, you're going to put more attention on Bradley Beal. What was your sense of that aspect of it in terms of, you know, I mean, it, what, why, you know, why not focus more on Bradley Beal uh, than anybody else if you're the other team? Well, I think it was a good move putting Lowry on him because before that, a lot of the three-pointers he was getting were off of little screens where he would get a switch onto a big man or he would get you know enough space to put it up quickly. And I think he can do that on, on DeRozan as well. But, yeah, Lowry was sort of covering him in full court. But I, there were a couple times Beal got around him um, and couldn't make anything happen. And it's really – this was one of those games where – if Beal was being face guarded or covered closely, there was nobody else who was ready to step up and make a play. It was a lot of Gort running the offense through Gortat and looking for that sort of the play where Beal passes him the ball and then runs in a circle and waits for Gortat to pass it to him. And when you have someone on you, like Lowry, it makes it a little more difficult to do that. So, yeah, I mean, Beal was killing him. So, yeah, you want to you know put your defensive emphasis on stopping Beal. On the flip side, DeRozan was killing Washington and – they really didn't have anybody who could do anything uh, to stop him. So, you know, that sort of was the difference in the, you know, toward the end of the game. Uh, one thing, so you, you mentioned Lowry being on him. Now, look, if Kyle Lowry is having to guard Bradley Beal to that end, face guarding him, really just following him around the court the way Beal said, you know, that, that expends a lot of energy. And, you know, I, obviously that's part of the job. But what Toronto also did was to, they, they took, from what I was noticing, they took Kyle Lowry off of the ball a lot in the fourth quarter. They had Van Fleet in there with him. Now that's two point guards. Neither one of them are particularly big. That wasn't an issue when the Wizards have, you know, some form of Bradley Beal, jo, uh, Tim Frazier, Jody Meeks out there. They're not actually going big themselves. But what, what, one thing I, I noticed, I mean, Van Fleet, this is two games in a row now where he's played well against the Wizards. He's a guy I liked coming out of Wichita State. You know, again, not saying he's an all-star point guard, but he's a very, you know, he, he gives them energy. He seems like a smart, heady player. He's aggressive. But the thing about it is, you even though they're not the biggest guys, you can kind of play Lowry and Van Fleet together because both of them make threes. Uh, Van Fleet's not hitting a high percentage of threes so far this year, but last year Lowry was over 40% and Van Vliet was about 38%. I think about that in terms of the Wizards. They can't do that. John Wall, we, you know, God bless him. He's not a, he's not a great three-point shooter. And Tim Frazier is basically worse. Um, 
if if one of those two could make threes, you could play them together. It's it's one of these things why when people always you know want to talk about which players to bring in or whatever, you can't just bring in willy nilly anybody to play with your players. They have to ideally fill certain roles. Again, I go back to what I was saying before. You got to put people in the best position they could possibly be in. So if Scott Brooks wants to play Tim Frazier and John Wall, like last year he played Brandon Jennings with John Wall, it's a terrible fit because you're either playing John Wall off the ball, which makes no sense relative to the other guy, and then if you put the other guy off the ball, he's a complete non-threat. Toronto doesn't have that issue, so they could get away with it. Now, the fact that John Wall wasn't playing also helped them, but point I guess my sort of my larger, bigger picture point here is that Toronto has some options there. I mean, by the way, Toronto is missing some people today, too. Norman Powell didn't play, among others. Um, but they can go with both point guards and, and and use that combination if they want because they can play together, whereas the Wizards, it's one of the things with their bench. It's not that they have horrible players on the bench. The fit always doesn't work with what else they have out there. Well, yes, and that gets to – I mean, that's strictly a roster construction issue, and that that's where the – the team, you know, is being handicapped by poor front office moves in that when you look at the bench, you have like what you're saying, Tim Frazier can come in. He can only play backup point guard. You don't want to play him alongside wall. Mahimi can only play backup center. He can't play any, you know, he can't play alongside Gortat. You have Meeks who really, because he has no ability to create his own shot because of his lack of any type of lateral movement or ball handling or driving. He, he plays such a very specific role that he actually shouldn't even be a bench player. He should be only playing with starters who can actually create space for him and get him open shots. On the second unit, his skill, which is his only skill, pretty much, is spot-up shooting, is lost because nobody can create the space for him on the second unit. There's no way to get him open. All he, all he does is shoot threes coming off a curl hoping to get fouled. So those are your three main guys coming off the bench. And really, Jason Smith is the only versatile player who can come in and he gets DNP'd. So of all the bench guys who come in, there's no versatility. There's no playmaker. So I think that's why it's incumbent upon Brooks to really do some more experimentation with the second unit, because if you're just going to do this all bench unit, which just continues to not work, um, it sort of, it messes up the, the, the starters as well. When you put in the you know bench and starters together, like playing Frazier with wall and, and I guess he hasn't tried to get Meeks in with the starters too much, but but that's when Meeks is sort of at his best when he's with the starters. But but that's a larger roster construction problem, which I don't know how you get around because there's really one versatile player on the bench, and that's Jason Smith. When I say yeah. versatile, I mean for that for the position. All right, so we, we've talked about a little bit about the bench there, and you know, obviously, you know, this is, I always say this: it's one of these things about covering an NBA team. There's only so many players. Uh, you can't go, you, you, you end up repeating yourself a little bit <laughs> with some of these things. Speaking of the bench, though, we just talked about it primarily from the backcourt. Another guy who I thought was big for Toronto, Carol Lawson said as much in the broadcast as well, was uh, Pascal Siakam. You know, he's exactly the type of thing the Wizards don't have. Long, you know, what is he, 6'10", 6'11", super long, athletic, can, can you know, he, he's athletic enough where he can defend different positions on switches. Uh, he, in the first game, he only played 16 minutes against Wizards. This one, in part because Toronto, I guess, was missing some people, and he was effective. He played 31 minutes, 4 points, 9 rebounds, 2 blocks. You know, look, I don't want to keep, go- you know, I don't want to keep repeating the same story every, every all the time. We've been talking about this for two years. Why the Wizards felt compelled 
to get Mahimi when you already have Gortat. You can't play them together, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if you could go back in time, I know I was saying it. I suspect you were and others were as well. The guy like Siakam, who who they drafted in the first round, I'm not saying that the Wizards could have had him in particular, but that's the kind of guy that they're lacking. They have a Gortat and Mahimi in Valanciunas. They they also have this kind of guy. They also have Jakob Pertl, who, um, you know, is probably more of the backup center on some level, but, you know, you could play these guys in different ways. In any event, he was effective um, as well, you know, a bit of a disruptor there in the middle. You know, he he can get out. Plus, they also have Serge Ibaka, who's another guy who's similar to that, uh, you know, athletic enough to guard multiple positions. You know, uh, Ibaka can also hit the three and so on. So, you know, watching Siakam and watching Van Vliet together having success, to me, just sort of stood out as, you know, the latest reminder as to where the Wizards are lacking. And again, I have to preface all with no John Wall today. If you have Wall, it changes a lot, of course. But, you know, the, the, those guys out there, um, you know, I, it's one of those things where if I could, you know, if I could put the Wizards under sodium pentothal, asking about their backup uh, center would definitely not be the first thing I would ask. Probably wouldn't be in the first 50. <laughs> but uh, but it's up there. It's a question I'd want to know is what, what, why, why did they ultimately go with two centers who play the same way regardless of what Mahimi's doing versus trying to get somebody like a, a Siakam who can give you that, you know, just a different look, if nothing else. Yeah, and Siakam was definitely, he was almost like, a, they were, the players were almost like treating him like Whiteside out there. They were just scared to to go anywhere near him, that he was he was getting a lot of rebounds and just really disrupting things. And that's one of the situations where, that's where you would like Mahimi to come in and sort of counter that and like be that same version. That that's one of those situations where that's a role that Jason Smith doesn't necessarily fit. So this would be a game where you would, you'd like to see Mahimi come out and sort of play that role and, and disrupt things at the rim. But seeing those two together, you really are seeing the energy level. I don't know if it's still injuries or, or with, with Mahimi or not, but there's just a, you know, you're watching, you can tell like a completely different, maybe it's just age a completely different energy level with like the, the separate, you know, seven footers, rim protectors jumping up and rebounding. There's really no impact that Mahimi's having. And while, you know, Washington is taking 10 foot leaners and, and, you know, Uber did it once on a break just for no reason. Um, they're just avoiding the rim. They're getting down low and, and pumping and pumping, pump faking and, and, you know, not getting shots off. So it was really a, it was really a major issue against, uh, against this team. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the centers, how about Marching Gortat? He gets he gets his customary double double, twelve and twelve. But he also has a career high seven assists. He had a nice feed to a cutting Otto Porter in the fourth quarter. He had I think three fairly early in the game. You know Gortat is a, you know a lot of things he can do, a lot of things he's not asked to do because of this type of uh, because of how they do things. Um, but that was a good uh, that was a good 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 look out of him. Uh, what other notes did I take here? We found out that Carrier Lawson is a Kenny Chesney fan, in case you were wondering about that. Yes. Uh, that was actually an odd, an odd, not the Kenny Chesney part, but an odd question that for Chris Miller to throw out there. I, I thought that was kind of a, this is more of a broadcasting note, but to, to throw out cold, you know, what song you want to have playing in a mall while you're shopping, uh, <laughs> that sort of brought the broadcast to a, to a standstill. Well, um, I, I thought you know, what, I thought where Chris was going was he said that in in the malls in Toronto. Yeah, they played Drake. Drake. They played Drake. So I yeah. thought I thought he was going to say what would be the equivalent for the malls in DC. 
<laughs> the premise, he, he had a premise and then like it was throwing it to them for that. I, that was a, uh, anyway, that, that's a, it was a strange, it was a strange moment in the game. Um, but yes, he threw out the Kenny Chesney as the response. I like also Buck Hans called Serge Ibaka at one point, the surge protector. Surge protector. Yes. Was that, I, I don't know if I heard that. He, I don't know if I remember him being called that in, in other uh, normally, but, uh, no, I like it though. But yeah, I, I, Makes sense. Volcans also sounded like a little under the weather too. It felt something in his voice. He was sounded like he had a bit of a cold. Um, but it was just just extra broadcasting this because the game wasn't wasn't that interesting. Um, once once it got away from Washington. But but one thing with Cortat was he in the first half they gave up a Washington gave up a ton of offensive rebounds. But in the second half, I thought Cortat did a pretty good job of. Um, protecting the glass and also he had a few I think three times he dove on the ground you know and saved uh saved possessions one he threw it over I don't know if it was the fourth quarter but he, he the ball was going out of bounds he dove threw it back over his head you know straight up in the air and uh and uh I guess Markeith I went for it I think got got a foul late in the fourth a key possession they didn't end up capitalizing but he dove out of bounds and you know tapped that the ball back I mean he was really throwing himself all over the place and and really, that was the type of energy which not everyone was giving. But I thought for him, it was it was a great, uh, you know, a great effort. And I think that goes along with the assists as well. He was just he was sort of locked in and involved and, and making the right decisions when he caught the ball, um, you know, in the post and at the foul line. He was really finding guys. And I thought he played it. He played a great game, except for that giving up some of those offensive rebounds uh, early on. And they Valentinus was out of the game and and. Um, so, you know, it didn't come back in. So I guess that, that maybe freed him up a little bit to, around the rim. He can have to bang with Valentinus as much. And, and you know, they needed him to play well. Markeith, Mike Markeith got banged in the head early in the game. Yeah. And he maybe just never really recovered. He finished one of ten from the field, only had three points and four rebounds in 27 minutes. Uh, so he uh, was not – so on top of John Wall being out, Markeith uh, – putting up that kind of, those kind of numbers, um, you know, we already talked a little bit about what was going on with, uh, with Ubre. By the way, speaking of Markeith, you know, it's, it's, you know, look, he's now been back, uh, I mean, he's played, what, I don't know, 10, you know, uh, nine games, I guess, at this point. He still hasn't played, today matched his season high for minutes of 27. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it seems like he's okay. It's curious that he hasn't been able to, I mean, part of it's just been circumstances. I know there's been some times where Brooks said he wanted to get more, and then the Wizards were either were, were blowing out somebody, and you know, and, and then there was a time he fouled out uh, in that in that Miami game, the first game. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that he still hasn't been able to get uh, all those uh, all those minutes. Um, all right, so look, the Wizards are back at it tomorrow, meaning Monday night, the first of their first back to back set of the year they're at milwaukee uh you know milwaukee is definitely one of those teams where i'm not you know when you ask me who's the you know before the season starts who who's the east running through obviously you think cleveland you think the wizards you think toronto boston certainly when they had hayward and then even without you know whatever you know they're interesting milwaukee to me was a total wild card and that was of course before they got eric bledsoe but last year you know the, the wizards beat them three out of four but boy, watching those games, it sure didn't feel like that. Toronto, uh, Milwaukee was was a problem. Giannis Attentacumpo was uh, all that in a bag of chips. 
and he's only getting better. If you know, look, they have to worry about bigger picture stuff with John Wall. So if they don't need, they they don't have to rush him back. You know, don't if he's not ready. But needless to say, they're gonna. It's an it's something of an all hands on deck situation when you consider their athleticism and uh, you know. And plus, you know, now they have Bledsoe. You know, that's a, that's a tough matchup uh, for Tim Frazier. Yeah, and if you're gonna have Wall limited or possibly out, I think there's a good chance. He doesn't play simply just looking at how he played on the last time we saw him. I mean, he wasn't moving at all. Uh, you know, that Miami game, he was really probably should not have been out there. And so if you're looking at Marquise still being limited, and if you have Wall limited, I mean, that's that's going to be a major problem because, you know, Frazier, early on, Lowry tried to sort of uh, bulldoze Frazier a little bit uh, down low. And Bledsoe, although he's not that tall, he plays with that energy, and he'll go right at the rim, and he'll he'll go right at people. So I mean, to have him versus Frazier and only Sadoransky as the backup, that's going to be tough when they bring in Bragdon as well. That's that's a real tough backcourt matchup, especially if they Milwaukee also focuses on just taking away Beal the same way that Toronto did eventually. I mean, if you come in with your game plan of let's take away Beal, um, you know who who's going to step up? I mean, I mean. You say maybe if you run the offense through Otto, but who else, if, if that's the situation, can actually take over and create baskets? So it's it's definitely going to be a, a tough matchup tomorrow. Uh, Milwaukee is eight and seven at the time as of the moment we're talking about this. They are twenty third in the NBA in scoring. They are fourteenth in points allowed. I mean, they've, they haven't had Bledsoe for too long, so I'm sure they're still getting adjusted to that. And, um, I mean, look, Giannis has been, you know, arguably the MVP through the first, you know, 15 games or so of the season. Uh, so anyway. He has slowed down, though. But he, he has slowed down his scoring some. I mean, so that's maybe something you could hang your hat on. But, again, you're looking at Oubre is going to have to cover him, and he's done okay on him in the past. But if Marquise isn't really available for that much, Time. I mean, really, what do you have? Markeith, Ubre. You can put Otto on him some, but you know, who who else do you have who can really, really cover him? And I think they're four. They were four and zero since getting since putting Bledsoe in the starting lineup. I can't remember. I think they've played a fifth game. I don't remember what happened, but I mean, they've really been playing well since they got Bledsoe. Yeah. So. I, I, you know, one thing, Adam, because of this relentless schedule, and I just mean there's an every other game, every other a game every other day, and now back to back. But more to the point of there's a game, I do a recap, and then the next day you've already got the next game to focus on. And I, I feel like I felt like last year there were more opportunity, more days off in between, uh, so there's more maybe more days to do like a a, uh, a a standalone topic podcast that could maybe last for a day or two. I haven't had as much of a chance to do that. I think one that need, that'll have to happen here in the near future is uh, what do we do? What, what what are we making of Jody Meeks? Um, it is not working out right now. He goes uh, he, 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 zero for two from the field today. Didn't even attempt a three. He he's not shooting well from three. He's got the worst um, worst uh, net rating on the team and probably a pretty good uh, pr- pretty good margin last time I looked. You know, it's another case of a guy who would be better off playing with the starters, but since Brooks doesn't want to do that, seemingly, <laughs> it's been a problem. So we don't have to go into too much of a dive here, but I do think we've talked a ton about Mahimi. You know, when Todd's here with me, we bring up Ubre a bunch, and his his good, his bad. Uh, you know, we've talked about Scott Brooks. 
I, I Jody Meeks is probably in the, the next topic to come up here uh, at some point. Yeah, well, I think Meeks, I can give you a quick preview, uh, is that Meeks, it's, I think it's what you said, Meeks at his best would be with the starters. It's, it's almost not fair to judge him on the bench, uh, but again, he's, he is a bench player, so we're going to have to judge him with, with what he is, but he doesn't fit in with the bench, with this particular bench, because they, they can't get him open looks, and he just can't create. So I don't know. I, I think that you really what you, they need to do is get him with the starters if you're going to play him, and really you have to because there's nobody else on the team. They're, just like Marcus Thornton last season when that's your backup shooting guard, there's no one else, we're in the same position this year with Meeks. There isn't anyone else. I mean, you can't play Sadoransky as your shooting guard. So there's no Sheldon Mack. There's no somebody else who you might want to give minutes to. So I, I think he's the candidate to get him minutes with the starters and then get Beal with the second unit if you're going to start doing more of a spillover, letting Beal play with the second unit. But it just it's not working with him playing on the second unit, and that's not completely his fault. But it's that's the situation we're in. That's our that's the bench, and, and, and you have to figure out. Yeah. And yet it does seem sort of an obvious fit. I mean – Four minutes to go in the first quarter. Pick out, take out Wall or Beal. If you take out Beal, put in Meeks. If you take out Wall, put in Frazier. Let that guy play with the starters to some degree. You know, even if you at that point also pull out, you know, take your pick, Marquis for Otto or whatever, that you still would have three starters out of the quarter, even just two, right? Yeah, put Mike Scott in. Put Mike Scott in for Marquis. You're okay. Right, right, and just do that, and it just feels like you're going to get the like ultimately at the end of the day. Like again, no matter what we all think of any of these players, none of them are that bad. They're all NBA players. They're all pretty good. If you took any of them and put them on different situations in a better spot, I think you would see better versions of them all. But it just feels like what we're witnessing is on some level the worst of them. Meaning, particularly Frazier, Meeks, and and Mahimi. Because the way they're used, I mean, Ubre too. The, the best, you know, the best lineup the Wizards have is the one where Ubre is in there for Markeith and the other starters. Again, another situation where a guy seemingly is playing better with the starters, which is not uncommon. Which goes back to my whole point of I don't get why Brooks goes straight second units all the time, but I'm not going to uh, throw. I'm not going to dive down that rabbit hole again. One last question, and then I'll let you get out of here. So we're, you just mentioned sort of – we've now talked to them in different ways. They don't have uh, a pogo stick kind of big man like Siakam, and they don't have a guy who can get his own shot really off the bench. Um, I could point to – they really don't have a guy on the whole team who you could just sort of post up and, and sort of say, go get yours on some level. The Wizards have an open roster spot. Uh, obviously, it's not as easy to say, oh, go get somebody because, you know, we're t- <laughs> that's not realistic – you know, I, I don't have a list in front of me for agents, and that doesn't even matter. But, you know, there are some veteran guys out there. There's the G League guys who are out there. If I said to you with this one spot, you can get either A, a an athletic mobile big who maybe can, you know, sort of help fill in the gap when, when Markeith is out. You can have that. You can have more of a physical big who gives you some potential uh, for, for low, low post scoring uh, inside. I give you another wing. Because like when Otto and Ubre are forced to play heavy minutes, you don't have somebody who can sort of fill in the gap for them. I'll give you another shooter, or I'll give you another point guard. Although I don't know, or maybe I'll give you a point guard that can play with John Wall hypothetically. All those things you get this one spot. What would you pick? 
Well, I'd go with, I don't know where this would fit into the, the options you gave exactly more of like a combo guard type player who can put his own, get his own shot up. I, I would say like a, again, not this particular person, but someone of the skill set of a Jordan Crawford. So I'm talking about someone who will come in and you can say that's the offense. What the role that Beal is playing now when he plays in the second unit. So a guy who you can just give it to like a Lou Williams, somebody who that's, that's your offense for the next five minutes. I think that's really their biggest need and the biggest, that would be the best fix with the second unit. Um, but the other things are, are a need as well, but it just really comes down to scoring because nobody on the second unit, when they're passing it around, you can look at after each pass, you say, what's the best case scenario? Uh, Frazier comes down and passes it to, uh, you know, Ubre. What, what's the best case scenario? Ubre is now going to do an isolation drive to the rim or he passes to Mahimi at the top of the, uh, the top of the key. What's the best case scenario after that? He's not making backdoor cuts to somebody going to the basket. So your best case scenario is maybe when Meeks catches it, he's wide open. It's just it's just going around and around with no advancement in the offense. So I think you need someone in there who just says, "Look, give me the ball. I'm putting a shot up, and it's not going to be as ridiculous as the shot would be if Ubre did it." So, I mean, that that's sort of where I think they they need someone. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, especially you know, again. Uh... I can complain or suggest things change. If Scott Brooks wants to do this, if he wants the all-bench team in there, then yeah, then you're right. They definitely then need to get somebody who can really run, you can run the offense through. By the way, Jordan Crawford is currently a free agent. Just going to just gonna put that yeah. out there. Uh, I would, listen, if you could erase the history, <laughs> I would bring in Jordan Crawford. Um that that is that type of person who who could come in, and actually the sad thing is, as a fan, is that there are probably a dozen players out there who are available right now on minimum contracts, whether they're in China, whether they're in the the G League, whether they're Jordan Crawford sitting at home wherever he is, who you could come in, give them twenty minutes a game right now ahead of four people who currently play in the roster, and that player would be better. Like, you could probably pick up four guys right now, swap them out for Meeks, Mahini, even Mike Scott, probably, even though I like Mike Scott, and Meeks, I mean, and Frazier, although Frazier's okay. But you could just swap in four guys, and they would play just as well, if not better, if they were a better fit together. And that's, that's a major problem with Washington going forward in, on their second unit. It is. You know what? And just to sort of cap this off, I mean, I, you know, I think the large tenor of this uh, podcast was probably on the – on the down Debbie Downer side, but as a reminder, the Wizards are—they uh, still have a winning record. They're nine and seven. Nine and seven. They, they, they lost today without John Wall, and um, you know uh, they got Milwaukee, then at Charlotte. Obviously, you know you got to at least split those because two games in a row is tough. You at least split those. You go into Thanksgiving, you eat a lot of turkey. And uh, stuffing, if you're in, into the cran, I'm, I'm more of a cranberry sauce than a cranberry, the you know the 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 the, the thicker kind. Um, you do all that, you come back afterwards refreshed, ready to go. But uh, yeah, they just got to weather, get through these next couple games, whether walls in there or not. Get a um, get a split at least, and then move on. And then uh, you know, and then we'll move on. And I will say this: once we get past Thanksgiving, basically, there's no more early season. We're done that because right now they played. 16 games, that'll be 18 once we get past Thanksgiving. 
technically I think 20 games is when you can maybe start looking at stats and start projecting bigger picture stuff. But more or less, once we get past Thanksgiving, the early season's over, and now the season, it's game on, and we you know we can't keep saying, well, they're just figuring it out. No, the the, the season's on. Um, but you know, I'll give them till I'll give them till, till Thanksgiving. Well, and that's what I mean. I remember early in the season when they were having defensive troubles. I mean, that's what Scott Brooks says. You know, it's not. Yeah, you can say early in the season, but who cares? It's one game. It's game five. It's game six. We need to be on the same page defensively. And um, and that, yes, it is. It is good that they're nine and seven, and people are upset. People are feeling that they've wasted at least three games that they definitely should have won. I mean, people are saying, look, they should be twelve and four right now. Well. The fact that they're nine and seven is we maybe maybe we're lowering the bar more than it should be, but nine and seven is one of their best starts in a long time, and it still puts them in a position where they can, you know, right the ship somewhat. And they were two and eight last year, so yes, being nine and seven isn't the end of the world. Um, but I, I was a little surprised to hear Scott Brooks, you know, his press conference after the game. He said today, he said, you know, overall, I'm pleased with the effort. You know, I'm pleased with the quality of play. And he, he went on to say a couple bounces here or there. It could have changed the outcome. And, and that, so it's surprising to me because I would think the – I would be happier if the message to the team was, listen, this wasn't – the effort there wasn't, wasn't all there, even though Wall was out. I mean, on the board, that's effort. Giving up offensive rebounds, that's effort. The transition play was sloppy. They, they just missed layup after layup, uh, giving away points. I mean, that, that's all based on, on focus and effort. And, and getting back on defense. So, you know, that's one thing. I would like to hear Brooks be a little more, you know, maybe a little, little harder on the team and not, not always so upbeat. But, um, but that's sort of his, his mantra. That's his, that's his style. So, um, and maybe, you know, he knows. It's early in the season. Maybe it's too early to start beating on them. But like you said, it's not really – this season started two weeks early. It's not – we're not that – it's not like it's a normal season where we played five, ten games. And we're, we're looking at the same problems. 15, 20 games into the season already, so and not living up the, to the, their potential. I mean, here I am trying to end things on a positive note, and here you are just dropping more. Well, I, I started positive. I started positive, <laughs> uh, but then it took me. Then it took me to negative. I, <laughs> I know. I hear you. it's 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 it it's tough. But and you know what? I mean, I, we're going to end it here. But when you don't, when when there's not more Ubres, where you can't, you can give the young players with potential more benefit of the doubt with their miscues. But when you don't have those guys, it just becomes, well, this is what you have, and where's the hope, and where's the potential, and then it becomes harder to wrap your head around. The upside is with the starters. I don't think we even mentioned Otto Porter much today. So the, Otto, Brad, John, you know, the, the, that's where the hope is. Everything else is, is the fill in the blank, and today with that wall was about to fill in the blank, and they ultimately didn't get enough from, from that group collectively. All right, let's end it there. Many thanks, as always, to my guy, Adam Rubin. Follow him on Twitter, at Liddell's Place. You can follow me, at Ben Standig. And, of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you do your podcasting. Have a great week, everybody. If for some reason we don't catch you until after Thanksgiving, have a holiday as well, but more podcasts coming up this week. So until next time, see ya. Deal gets open for three. Dagger! Oh, 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 o